0: Read together Psalm 145. So we'll read Psalm 145. And after that, let us sing together from Psalm 76, the stanzas 1 through 5. So we read the word of God there as follows. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised Shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Day 47, where we confess, what is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us, first of all, that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you and all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life our thoughts, words, and actions that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. After the sermon, let us sing together from hymn 63, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, sermons on the Lord's Prayer, just like sermons on the Ten Commandments, they kind of fall into the category of how-to sermons. Of course, we recognize they are not sermons on how to be saved. We are saved. We are together here as a people that have been redeemed out of grace through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But they are how-to sermons because they teach us how to be thankful for the gift of salvation. Now, I mentioned here both sermons on the commandments and prayer. Actually, there is quite a close connection between these two. Even if you think of how the catechism deals with it, they both are in the third section about our thankfulness, first of all the commandments, then prayer. But we see that also, not just by the way that they are organized, you can see, in our confessions as being part of the same section of the catechism, but also if we think through about the first purpose that we learned way back in Lord's Day 32 about, well, why, if we have been redeemed out of grace through the work of Jesus Christ, why must we do yet good works? Well, the basic reason and the first reason is that God may be praised by us, by our godly living. Now notice that praising of God is also the focus in the first petition. So it comes to mind right away in good works. Now when we begin to work through the petitions, the praise of God also is in the forefront. Now the word hallowed, of course, has that sense of, of treating holy, of praising, of glorifying God's name. But when you think it through, in the first petition, we are asking for God's grace and Holy Spirit to do what he has commanded us to do in the command, commandments. So that by our obedient lives, his name will be praised and glorified. Note how the prayer for strength to keep all the commandments is contained actually in the very first petition. Petition, hallowed be your name. To use a comparison, because we're kind of saying one petition for all the commandments, to, to use a comparison, and perhaps the uh, the brothers in the congregation will understand this better than the sisters, but the brothers can explain it to the wives later on. Nowadays, when you want to buy a new tool, the big thing, of course, is battery tools. You don't have to pick a cord, but when you get the right brand or one brand and you can buy one kind of battery, which will plug into many different tools. So, when you want a new tool, you don't have to buy the whole battery and charger every time again, you just buy a new bare tool, as they call it, and you have the batteries at home, and you just plug that into it. Very handy. Now, in a way, we can treat the first petition that way, as the battery, which then we're going to plug into each of the commandments. And that means, of course, if you think about that, oh, this afternoon, actually, we're going to have a 10-point sermon. But don't worry, the points won't be as long as normal. We'll kind of keep them contained to stay within the half hour approximately. But in that way, as we do that, as we're going to plug then that first petition into each of the commandments, we also will learn again and perhaps learn anew or for the first time how to pray this first petition in a more meaningful way. It's always important to be reminded, to be refreshed, because prayer life can grow kind of stale. But that we also will be able to pray it in such a way that our whole life will also be a life that hallows God's name, that brings praise and glory to him. So then we begin with that first commandment, where we are told, You shall have no other gods before me. Now, it's rather obvious, of course, that God will not be... Honored if we follow other gods, that is, if we place our trust in anyone or anything else. Of course, because of that, we may have to ask our Father for strength in connection with the first petition not to compromise our faith. But what I want to focus on is not even so much that particular aspect of the First Commandment, but also that when we think of the positive requirement in the First Commandment, which is phrased negatively in the first place, but back in Lord's Day 34, first question answer 94, it says that in the First Commandment, God also requires that I rightly come to know the only true God. That's implied in the First Commandment, that I rightly come to know the only true God. And I notice how... Answer 122 starts, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you. You see there, even in the wording, the confession makes the connection between the first commandment and the first petition. Notice that, brothers and sisters, the first commandment is not only about what we should not do, but also about what we should do. And that is, joyfully and lovingly serve our God and Father. But that requires that we take the time to get to know him as he has revealed himself in his word. Because if we do not rightly know him, well, how will we know what truly pleases him? And what will, how will we know what truly praises him? If we don't rightly know him, we might think we do things that he is pleased with. But in truth, we are simply doing what we like and makes us happy assuming that if it makes us happy if we like it god must like it but that's not necessarily the case but then you would say well this doesn't really require prayer this simply requires being busy with the word of god so if we want to rightly know him just dig into the word of god and learn what he teaches about himself but then we have to realize that Rightly getting to know God is not just a matter of intense Bible study or even memorizing all kind of Bible passages. You know, you might have come across people who can out quote the Bible to you. You know, it makes you almost feel a bit embarrassed because they know a text for every kind of situation you can possibly imagine. But the reality is that even though it may seem like there is an awful lot of Bible knowledge, all kind of texts can be quoted, all kind of facts can be stated, really, there is no sense of what the big picture is. There is no clue as to what it is all about. You know, in that respect, people have developed comprehensive systems of theology, Plenty of texts to back it up, and yet they can be like the Pharisees. The Lord Jesus Christ said to them, too, you search the Scriptures, you think you know the Scriptures, but you really haven't got a clue what it is all about because they did not see how everything pointed to God's work of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so here, then, we have an indication of how to pray the petition. Hallowed be your name with respect to the first commandment. You must basically ask, Father... Father, please open my eyes to understand your word. So that I not only just read the words, but that I learn through these words to know you. Open open my eyes so I may learn to see you as the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working a creation, redemption, and our sanctification. We have to ask that because our eyes... Well, our eyesight, our spiritual eyesight, often is so fuzzy. So really, when you think about this first petition, you could say it begins actually with a prayer also in connection with the first commandment for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Because we know, if we're honest with ourselves, we so easily get it wrong. And if we get it wrong with our knowledge of God, well then... Everything downstream after that is going to be wrong. You know, through the prophet Hosea, the Lord chastised also the priests who were working among the northern tribes for not teaching right knowledge of him. And he then said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So if people aren't taught, they're going to be destroyed. But also if we do not ask the Lord, Lord, open my eyes. So I can understand the scriptures. See how it all fits together with your great plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. Open my eyes. Because without you, I won't be able to see it. I won't be able to keep the first commandment in a way that pleases you and praises you. We move on to the second commandment. Where God forbids making carved images to worship him. So in the first commandment, who to worship? The Lord God's second commandment, how to worship. We know that God is not pleased and praised and his name is not hallowed when we worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. Now again, this is certainly something that requires prayer. Because throughout history, you know, when, when different worship styles, wrong worship styles developed, no doubt it was thought that it's okay God God will be happy with whatever we come up with. If it makes us happy, if we think we really are able to pour ourselves into this kind of worship, what can be wrong with that? You know, we can imagine at Mount Sinai, when they made the golden calf, and when that golden calf was made, and Aaron said, well, these, these are the gods that took you out of Egypt, and then they had their worship, and they were so excited, jumping and dancing and praising God. But God was not praised. And he was not pleased. And he sent a plague upon him. He struck many of them down. Because God said, I am not pleased with the worship that you invent. I want you to worship me in my way. Now we can well understand the struggle here. Because when it comes to the worship as taught in scripture, we have to be honest, brothers and sisters. It's simple. And really, it kind of at times you may say borders on kind of a boring style from a human perspective. Here we sit. Okay, we have times we sing a song, then we sit down again. We have to sit and listen. Not really all that much happens, you could say. If an outside observer watches what's going on, they say, well, it's kind of boring, isn't it? There are in, in, in our society, oh, people have, have developed so many more exciting ways of communicating, of doing things and in that respect, you know, we face the same kind of pressure as the Israelites felt. They had left Egypt, where they had all kind of exciting style of worship. It was very visual, very stimulating. They would go to the land of Canaan, all kind of visually stimulating and exciting worship, even involving going to temple prostitutes. In our society, we have ways to communicate that blends communication and entertainment. And then, then we think, too, well, is that really so wrong? If it draws people, what's wrong with that? Isn't it even good? Shouldn't we fight boredom? Aren't we going to lose the youth because they they have seen more exciting ways somewhere else? Shouldn't we just loosen it up a little? But these temptations give direction on how to pray the first petition with respect to the second commandment. Because if our desire is that our Father's name be hallowed, That's the first thing. Is his name hallowed? Not do we feel good about it? Do we think there will be positive psychological consequences and impact for those who are worshiping? No. Will his name be hallowed? Then we need to ask our Father, Father, please work in us by your Holy Spirit. Give us a right understanding into what you want. And even more. We need to ask him to work on us by his spirit that we may learn to humble ourselves before his way. Because worship may appear boring to human eyes, but God is praised when, when everything stays focused on him, when his word is faithfully proclaimed, when, when people sing the praises of his name back to him Always keep in mind, worship by its very character should bring praise to God, but how easily it turns into pleasing the heart of man that requires much prayer, that the Lord keep us faithful, that we also hallow his name in our worship. We turn to the third commandment about God using God's name. Now here we see, you can say, the most obvious connection with the petition about God's name. Not use God's name in vain, hallowed be your name it's a tremendous privilege that we may know god's name the fact that we may know him as father of course that really shows that we have come to the highest point in the self-revelation of god so far into abraham and the patriarchs he was known as el shaddai god almighty then at the time of the exodus he revealed himself as yahweh the lord but but we know we may know, because of what Christ has done and come, we may know God as our Father in Jesus Christ, and we may know about the way of the Holy Spirit. Now, in that respect, we have to treat that name with great care. In the elaboration on the Third Commandment, the Catechism described the misuse of God's name as the most horrible sin. Notice, misuse of God's name, most horrible sin. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than that. You should always keep that in mind. The misuse of God's name, most serious thing, because really it shows unbelief. Now there is much to pray about as we plug that first petition into the third commandment. We might perhaps be guilty of using God's name carelessly or even irreverently. When we speak about him without a, a proper sense of awe. Of who we are really talking about. If, if we talk about God like he is just another member of the congregation. We talk about him in that kind of casual way. Then we're forgetting who he is. The almighty creator of heaven and earth. The holy God, the redeemer, the rock of our salvation. And on you can go with all those kind of descriptors. And so, we may have to ask the Lord by His Holy Spirit again to work a sense of that holiness in our hearts so that when we speak about Him, we speak about Him with that childlike fear and reverence. And this applies not only to when we actually use His name, but also when we speak about what what He has taught in His Word. Because, you know, there's a danger that we... We begin to talk about doctrine flippantly. Or even that we talk about truths he has revealed and we say, well, does it really make too much of a difference? Do we have to be too precise? Does it matter that people express themselves differently? You see, when God has revealed himself in a certain way, then we cannot become flippant about that. It's a respect for his revelation. We should be careful that we do not become sloppy also and inaccurate in how we express ourselves about what we believe. So that we have to ask the Lord, Lord, so work on us so that we speak about you rightly. That we do not misuse your name directly or indirectly by how we speak about your revelation. You can also think this through in terms of of the songs that we sing. You know, it's always a bit, quite a debate What kind of song shall we sing? And then sometimes there come these songs, and then people say, That's a beautiful song. Why is it a beautiful song? Well, often the key thing is that people are just enamored with the tune. You can have beautiful tunes. And there might be a phrase here or there that we really like. Nice phrase that, Oh, isn't that a nice phrase that praises God? But we have to be careful. And think it through. Think it through. Are we perhaps inadvertently singing half-truths and falsehoods? And if we do that, even with a very nice tune, even if it kind of makes us flow along and feel like swaying because it is such a beautiful tune, then, brothers and sisters, we are dishonoring His name. For we have to ask also in that respect for the Holy Spirit to work on us to discern if we are truly singing praise songs or whether we are belting out blasphemy because we didn't bother to reflect on the lyrics or whether the lyrics really fit with the tune, whether that communicates the proper message. Important. Ask our Father, Lord, give me discernment because I want to hallow your name in how I speak about you, how I praise your name, how I confess certain doctrines. We don't want to blaspheme him. We want to honor him. We can also think this through in terms of prayer where we use the name of our heavenly God. That we also may be guided by the Holy Spirit to always pray sincerely from the heart because we know the Lord God is not impressed because we happen to rattle off a nice long prayer or we rattle off the same prayer day after day and we simply do that on autopilot. No, these things are matters of prayer that we may keep the third commandment so God's name will be hallowed. You move to the fourth commandment, about keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's a day that the Lord has given us to remember the great saving deeds of our God. It's a day to worship him. But through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, the Lord warned Israel because they were doing their own pleasure on the Sabbath day. See, there we get, we get direction, that we have to ask the Lord for strength that we will indeed Use the Sabbath day, also using words from Isaiah 58 again, that that we will sincerely turn back from doing our own thing and that we learn to take delight in the Sabbath day. Because if we look up against the Sabbath day and we kind of go through the motions because, well, it is expected, we're not honoring God. He wants his children to also delight in that day, to come together with pleasure to worship his name. Of course, there's also implications of the Sabbath commandment. If you think even of the Catechism, how it explains it, as it extends itself to each day of the week as we rest from our evil works and in this life begin the eternal Sabbath. Because we know that, that sinful living throughout the week, even if our Sunday is excellent, that contradicts itself. That dishonors God. So we need to ask the Lord daily, Lord, So work in me that that I carry that Sabbath mood with me on Monday right through to Saturday. So it is evident to all who see me, I am one of your children. And that when they see me, they see sincerity. They see that I love you, that I want to serve you. And by doing that, I may bring praise to your name. Next, we consider the fifth commandment, where we are called to honor our father and mother and all those in authority over us. We know, that God is pleased to, to govern us through people in authority over us. And he is pleased when we show all honor, love, and faithfulness to people in authority. Also, again, gives direction on how to pray the first petition with respect to the fifth commandment. Because it teaches us that we have to ask the Lord to, to work in our heart the proper attitude and love and respect, the humble willingness to submit to the direction given to us by others. So practically, brothers and sisters, if, if you look at yourselves and you have to admit, actually, that you are struggling with obedience issue, maybe you have an obedience disorder, not just children can have that, members can have that towards the office bearers. We can have it as citizens towards our authority in a marriage relationship. A wife might have that towards her her husband. Who knows? What kind of situation. But then then we again have to ask our Father, Father, please work in me by your Holy Spirit. So I, I know what is required for me and also that I will grow in obedience because disobedient living, no matter what kind of relationship it is, dishonors our Father's name. It brings shame upon him. So, We have to ask for strength to to live faithful, obedient lives for the glory of God's name. We move on to the sixth commandment. You shall not kill. We know that positively this is a a call to love our neighbor. During the last Passover meal, the Lord Jesus told his disciples after his, his own example of washing their feet and serving them, calling them to love one another, he said that the world shall know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so, in that respect, too, you know that the way we live together as as believers, we make a statement about our Heavenly Father. Will the world be able to see from us the way we interact, that we truly love one another, that we want to be faithful to the God who has loved us? And when we admit to the inclination of the heart to hate to be envious, to be jealous, to desire revenge. You see, we have another area of life where we have to ask the Father to direct also our thoughts, words, and actions so that the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our interaction with one another. And again, we put that in terms of, Lord, for your namesake, why do we want to grow in love? Not because we're trying to earn salvation, no, we are saved people. But we know that the honor of our Father's name is at stake. If, if the world sees us bickering and fighting as brothers and sisters, then it says, well, what kind of God are they serving? A bickering God? But when they see us living in harmony, then they say, what kind of God are they serving? That there is such love and compassion for each other. But to do that, we know we have to ask for the strength of the Spirit. Because without that, we by nature are bickerers. Only by grace and the Spirit, we will become people that live together in love and harmony. We turn to the seventh commandment about adultery and other sexual sins. We should realize sexual sins, displease our God. They bring dishonor on his name. As for displeasing God, we we are told specifically with respect to that whole story of David and Bathsheba. You know, it recounts the whole situation. We mentioned this morning that often you get a story, but there is no editorial comment. But there is at the end of that episode of David and Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. We are told there in a one-liner, the matter that David had done displeased the Lord. Stands out. Sexual sin displeases God. It's also evident in 1 Corinthians where Paul has to address all kind of sexual sins among the membership. It seems that, that many had come to Christ, but they still think that they could involve themselves in pagan practices, including going to The temples where they also could go to temple prostitutes. It's hard for us to picture. How can they do that? But somehow in their mind, they thought that was okay. But then Paul says, no, you can't do that. That is dishonoring to God. Because your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So also with respect to struggles to obey the seventh commandment. The petition can be, again, put in terms of father... For your name's sake, we want to bring honor and praise to it. Father, strengthen me to show the fruit of the Holy Spirit in self-control, where I treat my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. After all, we know how how it becomes a shameful blotch on the church, and you say in the first place, when... Members of the church end up in the same kind of sexual sins as the world is engaged in. But but even more, it ends up as a blotch on our Father's name. We dishonor that name. If we live no different than the world, then the world says, you're no different from us. So there again, ask for strength for the sake of the glory of God's name that we may keep ourselves sexually pure. As for the Eighth Commandment, this touches on how we see and use our material possessions, our talents, our gifts. Ties in with the creation commission to subdue the earth, exercise dominion over it. Because God has given us this responsibility. And he is pleased when he sees his children living as good stewards of all he has entrusted to us. In that sense he's pleased he's praised when he sees us every day doing the work that lies before us when we seek to live a life to his glory rather than being selfish but again it's easy to see how easily we can fall into the ways of the world where we think everything is there just for us for our own enjoyment and and really the danger is there that we take up the mindset of the world where it's all about money, getting ahead, getting more things, where everything is used selfishly. It's so also in order that God's name will receive the glory in how we use our material things. We will have to ask the Lord to work on us by His Spirit, that attitude of stewardship. When we recognize It's not mine, really, but it has been given to me by my Heavenly Father. That he works in us an attitude of, how can I use this in thankfulness? How can I use this to fulfill the task he really gave at creation... to which he has restored us also in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ? How, How can I use these things also in a responsible way to help others? See again, for your name's sake, Lord... Help me to see how to do these things, how to develop my talents, how to use my resources. Help me suppress my greed, my selfishness, my rudeness. Help me resist taking advantage of others, because those things take away from the honor of God. But responsible, thankful, stewardly living, that brings praise to Him. Now we come to the Ninth Commandment, forbids taking forbids false testimony against our neighbor. And really how it involves also the the first petition it comes very clear when we think of how of course in the ninth commandment lying and deceit in the catechism it is called the devil's own works. John eight, the Lord Jesus called the devil a murderer and liar from the beginning. So, it should not be difficult to see how you kind of plug in then the first petition into this commandment. We need to ask for strength to fight against gossip, slander, condemning others rashly and unheard, because we know that doing that dishonors our Father's name. Because if we do that, then we actually show that we belong to another Father, the devil. So the very act of lying, being a gossip, all those kind of things that is blasphemous, not because we directly say something against our God, but because by doing that we dishonor the name of God that has been put upon our foreheads already at our baptism. And God says, you are mine. I am the God of truth. Walk in my ways. And then when we live the other way, we just talked about lying, deceit, falsehood, Then we actually say, No, I want to follow my father, the devil. So it dishonors our God. And finally, there is the tenth commandment. You shall not covet. This commandment, of course, takes us into different territory than all the other ones, because now we move beyond actions, but here because here we go into what takes place in our mind. And we know the Lord God, he searches our heart and mind. And he can see it if, if outwardly everything looks like it is glorifying to God. But inwardly, the desires are really with the world, are really with the old nature. Then, yes, outwardly it looks like there is a God praising life, but inwardly there is not. The Lord wants also from us an upright and sincere, a genuine heart. Now, also here, we can see how the first petition can be plugged in to this command. We need to ask the Father to search our heart and then to redirect our heart. You see, again, a prayer for the Holy Spirit to fill us with that spirit so that, that we are able to banish those kind of thoughts from our lives, so that the inside is going to jive and also match up. With a holy and proper outside to bring praise to God. We want God to work on us that the inner life is going to match the outer life where the only concern is that His name be hallowed. Now, hopefully, by now it is clear that this first petition, which we may have, will have uttered how many times in our lives, maybe the brothers. And sisters in their 80s could say, well, have I added up? It could be 10,000 times, if not more. I've heard those kind of words. But we realize these are not words that you can just skim over. It was never the intent when the Lord gave them. No, this is kind of a, a category to think about and to work with, as we can see, working them with respect to the commandments. You should think them through. To think through. First commandment first petition, and go through the various commandments. And so as we also then think about it and say, well, how do I plug this petition into each of the commandments? Maybe you have to make it a bit of an object or a goal for yourself and say, for the next 10 days, I'm going to work this through and see how this petition applies in the first commandment in my life. Because where are the particular struggles? Because each will find... That they have particular struggles. Maybe someone does not have too many struggles with the first commandment. But has struggles with the fourth commandment. Or the seventh commandment. Or the eighth commandment. But there will be struggles with them all. We have to look at it. Where are our particular struggles? And then we plug in this particular petition. And we lay it before the Lord. And we say, Lord, I don't want that anymore. Because I want your name to be hallowed by me. In everything that I do. And so walking through the commandments, considering the first petition, though, should have made it very clear where efforts at growth in Christian living must start. For it should be clear, as we have focused on that petition, that we don't begin by saying, okay, to improve in my Christian life, I now have to kind of roll up my sleeves, you know, up past my elbows and really get to work. No, actually, it doesn't begin there. Growth in Christian life begins by humbly folding our hands, bowing our heads, and saying, Our Father in heaven, please help me, please help me, that I may hallow your name in all that I do. And then when we have prayed, and when we keep on praying each day again, then we can get to work. Amen.